0: Um, just before I invite Rosemary up, it's going to be Ra- Rosemary's first, and then it's going to be Gail, then it's going to be Dan. Um, one thing you could just do is you could just pray for our voices. I've been struggling a bit with my voice, and I know Dan is struggling with his. Um, so pray for our voices um, as, as we go through these next few moments. But one thing about testimony is I think it will be powerful. I've not heard their testimonies. I don't know what they're going to be saying. But testimony is a powerful way in which you can hear God speaking into people's lives. And so you'll hear what God's doing in their lives. But as you listen to them, I want you also to listen to the ways in which God is speaking to you. Because it's not just about what God's doing in their lives. This morning is also about what God is doing in your life. And so through the testimony of these three different people, I think you'll hear something that God will speak to you about. And so be open to that. So not only listen to what they're saying, also listen to that still small voice of the Spirit speaking to you. And what God would speak to you about as well through their testimonies. So, enough of me. Uh, Rosemary, would you like to come up? Thank you. Yeah, you're on. Good
1: morning, folks. I've always had a great admiration for poets and cartoonists with their wonderful ability to uh, be succinct. Now, since I don't have their skill, I'm just going to tell you part of my story this morning, and I hope I'll be able to do it in something like seven to 10 minutes so that other people have a chance. (laughs) (coughs) So one morning in October, 1943, A lady who lived near the bus and train stations in Stirling opened her door to find a baby wrapped in a pink blanket bag with its name pinned on, lying on her doormat. And that baby was me. Uh, The inquiries were made by the police. uh, They were unsuccessful in tracing the mother and after several moves to different nursery uh, placements, I was taken to at two and a half to a, children's, a local children's home in the town. Now, the lady who subsequently uh, adopted me expect, expected to bring me up in Callender in Persia, where she had recently uh, helped a bereaved friend set up a boarding house. So all was looking good. But in an emergency situation, for for the children's home that she'd previously worked in, she returned to Sterling, taking me with her, and didn't re-emerge until her retirement. These things happen in life, don't they? Uh, And um, so it happened that I was kind of half in the home and and half, uh, what would you say, half independent. Um, as staffing ratios in childcare were nothing like today, daily my adoptive mother gave full-time care to something around 20 children, assisted by a nursery nurse, and twice weekly, a cook and cleaner. Along with the other children there, I took great cl- pride in climbing a hierarchy of responsibility for domestic ta- tasks. That will ring a bell with some of you. Brassoing and black leading of stoves, helping with the laundry, and ultimately cooking for 20-plus. Now, I know that I was fortunate. I had the security of knowing I belonged to someone, and some others didn't. The freedom of cycling, rowing, and visiting friends, and wandering around the old town, so steep in history, was much enjoyed by me. I often sat dangling my legs over the castle wall in Stirling uh, under the uh, statue of Robert the Bruce and looking over to uh, the Wallace Monument. I was a true daughter of the rock. Now, strangely, from very early on, I felt one with creation. And prayer was a very natural part of my assistance. I don't mean I had an imaginary friend or a substitute daddy. I just had that link. My adoptive mother made sure I was taken to a local Baptist church, which was part of her background. And this formed the context in which my own faith developed. Now, I'm very grateful for that context and one or two very fine people in that church. But the development of faith for me was very personal. Between the age of 10 and early teens, I read the Bible avidly, and certain things stood out for me. I was very drawn to the character and the teaching of Jesus. And in the Old Testament, the portrayal of Yahweh as the God of the fatherless and the widow. A God who expressed his displeasure when the poor of the land were exploited or neglected. And one of the phrases that just rang in my mind, just like some of the songs we sing here so helpfully ring in our minds during the week, was his steadfast love endures forever. And in the RSV version, you'll see that recurring quite a lot. Books like Touched by a Loving Hand, which tells you stories about people who were uh, contacted and helped by the London City Mission. And The Cross and the Switchblade uh, made a lasting impression on me. That was about uh, gangs in New York and uh, one person's um, uh, attempts to help them. (laughs) Uh, But above all, Uh, hearing uh, Frank Laubach speak. Frank Laubach, who in Southern Asia promoted each one, teach one, as an approach to spreading literacy where tribes were illiterate. His method, method was used across the world to teach tens of millions of people to read in their own language. Now, these things struck a chord with me, but I was a bit of a dreamer. Uh, My memory of school is of enjoying history and geography and English lessons, but otherwise gazing longingly out of the window at the great outdoors. At 18, I woke up to the fact that others were off to university and college and that I had better wake up and study over the summer months to get entry into college. <coughs> Fortunately, the choice of teaching proved spot on. And in the second half of my career, I was involved in teaching children with learning, emotional and physical difficulties. And latterly, just before I retired, a few years before I retired, in advising school's re to help pupils coping with dyslexia. It was a great privilege uh, to work with such pupils who incidentally showed great ingenuity and initiative in their lives. But there were things in life I wasn't <coughs> just to refresh myself. There were things in my life I wasn't equipped for. And that includes the breakdown of my marriage, the tight rope of managing finances, subsequently, the increasing complexity of trying to deal helpfully with another person's mental illness. And of course, in my life, there are regrets failures that affected others and in particular my children but as one man's wise man said failure shouldn't be our teacher it should be it should be our teacher I beg your pardon that's what happens when you try to quote other people Uh, failure should be our teacher not our undertaker. And God has been good. He encourages us as we travel with him, and he's encouraged me. In my case, for example, by seeing the commitment of my daughter and her partner to spending time with the grandchildren, explaining things to them, having fun together, teaching them how to interact with others, and showing affection. The last of which I know from experience in special schools and private schools and with privileged people and less privileged people, that showing of affection is not dependent on our financial and social position. The importance of this family, and this is why I, I mention it, the importance of this family interaction came home to me time and again in teaching and it's also a joy for me as I think is for many others to see how the leaders in this church arrange uh, enjoy a range of activities with the young folk including sport giving up time at the weekend and so on and they're available to them I know when they want to talk about the the issues that arise for them as teenagers. And that support within the family of God's church is just so important. Just about at the end. Now, here I am in retirement, and we retired people also need to look after each other, and we do. We need to be open and sharing the challenges of our lives. We mustn't, in this context, it's not necessary, be afraid to do that. Gradually, I have learned not to fail to withdraw when I feel less convinc- convinced or less authentic than uh, in my Christian practice than others here, uh, but to hang on in there. And I do that with people's encouragement. But hang on in there. Realizing what a precious commodity, fellowship with those who are also seeking to follow Jesus, uh, is. But most importantly, and the songs today have reflected this, I am being reminded of the prime importance of maintaining a close relationship with the one who quite amazingly says to us, here I stand at the door, And knock. Here I stand at the door and knock, and if you open the door, I will come in and sup with you. Within the quietness of my own home, and I might say passingly that there is a feature of depression in my life, and with people's help and love and medical help, it's now in a situation. I'm now in a situation where. I have strategies, and I'm going to tell you one of them in a moment. I have strategies to help me through. So within the quietness of my own home, I use anything at my disposal to maintain this relationship with Jesus. It's not always easy uh, to do that if if you base it on the feeling you've got within you, the mood at the moment. Sometimes... Uh, with even a worship video in a foreign language, uh, where you don't hear the words, so you're concentrating on the depth of harmony and and the sound, the folk sound of the people stretching towards God in worship or asking help. And so sometimes I use that. Sometimes I listen to some of the songs that we've heard or will be hearing today. And, of course not forgetting the old gospel songs. I was born when I was born, and uh, Billy Graham uh, time and the gather music and so on, the gospel music that speaks to the heart, straight to the heart, sometimes I um, am encouraged, greatly encouraged by that. But we all have different ways, and all I think I want to say is, Uh, Let's share them with each other. Thank you.
2: So,
0: I've used this before, can't you? Um, it's probably easy for me to get up here and actually add to what Rosemary said there, but um, I want to try, try not to do that with all three people, but um, I just thought it was very interesting what she said. Um, failure, should, failure should be our teacher and not our undertaker. I've not heard that before. I thought that was great. And just thank you to Rosemary for being so honest and open with us and sharing with us the ups and downs of her life. And I think that failure is correct, isn't it, that we all fail, we all do things wrong, the things that we regret... But that shouldn't be the ultimate as to who we are as people. You know, God has set us free from these things. We learn from them, but it's not our undertaker, is it? It certainly isn't. And that's what God, through Jesus Christ, set us free from, the sins in our lives. So I'm not going to go on. (laughs) I feel as if I could do. Gail, would you like to come, come up, please?
3: Good morning. my name is Gail and I want to talk about a particular time say five weeks in my life not long ago still going on but let me tell you to begin with God is an amazing God he is so wonderful he takes care of not just your big things but your small things, the day-to-day things that matter so much and help us live the life that we need to live. Um, Separate. (laughs) I can't read up there. About three or four months ago, Oh. Thank you. <laughs> it really doesn't help being four foot ten. <laughs> I had a saying from my sister that came from that, and I think we'll not go there. <laughs> yeah, as I was saying, about three or four months ago, um, I had a little car, Panda. It was an old, old car did me fine. I live in Perth. All I needed was up to church on a Sunday and home group on a Wednesday evening. Um, The car blew up. I must admit, I was very, very grateful it didn't blow up on the A9 with all the roadworks, because that would have really put everybody out. the car was a write off. We thought about trying to get it fixed, but it would have needed a new engine, so we decided we'd just write the car off. Now, I was very, very grateful because people in this church, my church family, straight away offered me a bed on the Saturday night through till the Sunday or the Monday. I had three, four different people offering me that. I had somebody offering me a car. Um, These things you don't realize how important it is to get from A to B when you can't, because the buses don't work, the trains don't work, you're stuck. So I was very fortunate that uh, Jeanette said, come stay with me, and I did. Further down the road, I thought to myself, what are we going to do? I thought I could maybe save for a few months and get an old banger that would get me up and down the road. I was very blessed with a gift of money, and that helped me to be able to think in a couple of months. I would get an old banger and I thought good Lord was providing I got a phone call from Stefan and he said what are you doing said I was going to go to Nine Wells and visit Elaine and he said oh has it been arranged I said no I just thought I would go I've got a car I would like to see if you fit now that may sound very funny which it is but there's an awful lot of cars I don't fit my feet don't touch the clutch right down the steering wheels cutting me in half and I think to myself what on earth is happening so he said I'll pick you up which he did took me to the garage he works at Mercedes garage and there was this car sitting there, white, and I thought, lovely, and it was a Ford car. So I sat in it, we adjusted everything. Oh, yeah, I could fit this car, and I was thinking, good, good, that's another one we can add to the list that I fit. I didn't think it was an old enough make of car, get an old banger he said to me come out and we'll have a run to see how you feel so i thought i'm okay so we went out and my brain is still going i don't think this is going to be an old enough make and i thought well just just go with it at the moment which i did we got back to the garage and he said to me how did you feel i said it's a great car I said, but uh, it's not old, you know. I can't afford something like this. I need an old banger. And uh, we sat discussing it for a little while, just all the bits and pieces. And he looked at the fellow across and he said, put it through. He bought me a six-year-old car that had done 40,000 miles and not a mark on it. I couldn't believe what he had done. I thought, you can't do that. He said, yes, I can. He says, "Uh, John and I have discussed it. And we've decided that if you're going up and down to Perth, you need something that's reliable. I looked at him and I said, there's reliable and there's this. And he said, yeah, but we decided. I couldn't believe what he had done. I was able to put whatever I had saved towards it, and he said, that's fine. I got to pick it up the next Friday. I still can't believe what they did. And then I looked at this, and I looked at the boys and I thought, you are tremendous God has supplied my need way above what I could possibly have wanted and you know you look at this and you think what a great God he knew what I needed and he supplied it through other people that was one thing And as I said at the beginning, I had been praying about two things. One was the car, obviously, and the other one was where I should live. A couple of times, um, people had said to me, would you think on coming back up to Pitlochry? Now, I never thought about it, because after my husband died, I had said I would wait two years before I made any decisions. Um, That was right, and that was the end of the two years when people were asking. And I started to think about it. Now, I was in rented accommodation in Perth, and it was getting slightly difficult money-wise to keep private rent going. So I went down to the council and asked if there was a chance of a council house. They put me on the list and I was to begin with, I was just on the list for Perth. But after these people had said, I thought about it and I thought okay God, I'll pop my name down for Pitlochry. And Lord, it's up to you where I live. I want to live where you want me, not where I think I should be. I know in my heart I wanted up here, but I had to be faithful to what God wanted. Um, I had heard about um, a place in the Duke of Edinburgh scheme that there was a house there empty and um, I thought about it but you had to be connected to the Vitlis, um people and I had never worked in a hotel or or uh, worked in a pub or Uh, sold in a shop you know uh, things like this and I phoned them up and they said we'll send you out all the forms and they needed to know everything which they got I phoned them up about this part and I said look I don't know if I'm entitled to even apply for this and uh, they said Put down what you can and leave it at that. So I did. I didn't have any names of the hotels that Ron had worked in, couldn't remember the name of the pubs, and I thought, I am in trouble here. Um, God was so good that that forms went in, and I got a phone call from a gentleman saying he wanted to interview me, I thought, okay. That sounds good, it sounds positive. I was getting nowhere with the council as far as uh, council housing went. I was 19th on the list and any time anybody was needing a home, they went before me. And uh, so I thought, OK, Lord, if this is for me, you'll have to show me very clearly because I'm sometimes a bit on the slow side of picking up what you say. And I think, okay. A gentleman came and interviewed me, and I had to admit to him that I didn't have any animals, but I occasionally looked after one animal, the boys one occasionally, but one other animal, maybe for about four days to a week, maybe every uh, three times a year. He said, that's no problem. I thought, good, that's one thing out. And interviewed me. The interview seemed to go okay. As he was going, he said, now, we will let you know, but it won't be soon. He said, I'm going to see other people. And I said, that's fine. My brain was saying, okay, not soon, a month, you know. Um, Ten days later, I got a phone call from him offering me the house. The house was two-bedroomed, and I was a single person. That house had been empty for months, and I realized that God had been waiting for me to fill out the forms and get a move on (laughs) and do things about it. And he had the house waiting for me. And I thought, you know, Lord, you are so amazing. The house is perfect for me. The rent is perfect for me. Everything is there that I need, even parking. I, I was paying in Perth uh, 230 pounds a year to park. Here, I don't have to pay. All things that I needed, God had supplied. There wasn't one area that he hadn't supplied for me. And I, I looked at this and I thought, Lord, you are tremendous. There is, I still haven't got the keys, but, but um, I'm getting in there this afternoon to take uh, measurements and things like this which I am very blessed with. Um, they said they don't normally do that. They do you sign and you get the keys at the same time. They're actually letting me in beforehand to, to measure. Now, all of this had happened within five weeks of each other, the house and the car. Now, I had been praying beforehand, and like a lot of times you pray and you think okay that's fine but it wasn't I had to leave the decisions and leave everything to God I couldn't take it back and worry over it again I had to leave it with God and that I managed at three o'clock one morning (laughs) Um, and since then I've not been worried about it there was a time when they said that I had to send back the acceptance form and so I I filled it in the next day and posted it because it had to be within three days. My phone went out, the house phone, totally dead. Nothing was working, the internet was down and I thought, this is nuts, I'm needing, you know, for them to phone me back and say that it was all right. Uh, that they'd got it, nothing. And I thought, well, at least we've got the mobile number. Oh no, it decided to go on as well, play up, caused me nothing but havoc. I sat there one Saturday night with no means of communication with anybody. And I thought, okay, God, okay, I need to get through to somebody. I kept trying couldn't get through to anybody. I ended up with four phone numbers and couldn't get through to anybody. And I'm sitting there starting to panic and I'm thinking, please God, I'm sure you gave me this house. Yeah, okay, I'm coming. (laughs) And uh, I, I thought, this is it. I eventually got the phone call saying everything was secure and there was no need to worry about anything. It was all done. And I just wanted to thank God for that. Can I, I give one thing? Um, showing that he doesn't just deal with big things, he deals with everyday things. I was out trying to pack up and run out of tissue paper and thought, okay, nip round to, somebody gave me the name, nip round, could I find his place? Could I thump? I was up and down the streets, all over the place. I knew it was in Varamun, couldn't find it. Went round to my son's house, said, help, what's the name? I don't know. It's two names, but I can't remember them. Um, Right. So he looked up and he says, oh, he said, this one. I said, yeah, that's it. So he told me how to get there. I'd been down the street twice, but hadn't gone right down to the bottom and round the corner. And that's where they were. I got there and I, the gentleman introduced himself and shook my hand and I thought, this is different, okay. Um, told him what I wanted and he said, oh, you're not Mrs. So-and-so. and I said, no. I said, I'm just wanting some tissue paper and uh, bubble wrap. And then he said, oh. I said, you are open. He said, well, 10 minutes ago I wasn't. He had opened up 10 minutes ago to see this lady who came in just as I went away. If I hadn't been there at that time, I wouldn't have got what I needed. That's how God supplies your needs and your, your, uh, your small things as well as your big. Okay. Sorry I've been longer. I did tell you I might be.
0: thank you gail that was excellent thank you um it's just amazing isn't it how how god works in in all the detail of our lives he's not just interested in the big things is he but also in the small things <coughs> and i was going to say everyday things of life but there some been some big things there that have happened haven't there in gail's life so just wonderful thank you gail uh, dan it's your turn now
2: It's fine, it's fine. I'll uh, I'll stand. Sorry, firstly, I'm going to apologise about my voice. It is almost pretty much gone, but hopefully I'll muddle through. Um, If somebody asked me to do this three years ago, the answer would have been no. Um, I wasn't in the right place, not in my life and not in my head. Um, But about six weeks ago, I woke up on my day off on a Wednesday morning and something was pressing on me stupidly hard to write down my story. And I tried to ignore it, because that's what I do. I tend to just ignore these things and do that and so I sort of had my coffee in the morning tried to relax but it was still there pushing on me and then I decided to go to work on my day off just to try and get rid of this feeling and it wouldn't go away Um, so I went into WH Smiths brought a pen and paper and spent the rest of the day writing down my story and my words and about 3,200 words later It was done, in one day. And if anybody knows me, me writing down my address is about as far as I get in one day. Um, That is about as much as I write. And yeah, um, and then about a week later, Martin and Debbie invited me around for dinner. And that's when Martin asked me to come up here and give my testimony. And I was like, 3,200 words in five minutes. It's not gonna happen. So I'll give you a shorter version. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, as a kid, I grew up in a great Christian household. I um, had good mum and dad. I'm one of six kids, um, so we didn't have loads of money, but we always got well supplied for, and we were good. And my childhood was a good good Christian living life. I uh, went to church almost every Sunday, and I couldn't complain. Um, and at the age of five, we went to a baptism service, um, and we were sat there at the back of the church. And I remember that the pastor at the time goes, is there anybody else who wants to get baptised this morning? And I shot up from the back of the church, much to my parents' disbelief, because they were like, We've got no towel, we've got no change of clothes, and I'm shot up at the front to get baptized. Um, and that's when I got baptized at the age of five years old. And that was my choice. Um, apart from that, my childhood was quite mundane. Uh, it's quite no exciting stories, um, nothing to write home about. Um, and then, I suppose, at the age of 15, we moved house. And that's when my life started to get we to I went to a different school. Um, and it was a grant-maintained school, uh, which is basically where they would take on anybody from any walks of life because they get paid to take it in. And that's when I started exploring life. Um, because before that, I went to good Catholic schools. And, yeah, every way at school, you can guarantee there was probably fights. There was drinks. There were drugs. And... That was the kind of school I went to, and that's kind of how I ended up starting to go off the rails and starting walking away from God, Um, quite fastly, walking away from God. I was about 15 years old when I first got arrested um, from shoplifting in town because of the guys I was hanging out with. Um, Almost every day in school, um, I probably got into scraps and fights, didn't listen to the teachers, didn't pay attention to any of the teaching that was going on. Um, To the point that I basically failed all my exams at school. And, yeah, so I left school. Um, As soon as I'd done my exams, that was it, I was done. Didn't think about college, uni, any further education, going back and redoing my GCSEs, anything like that. That was me done. And, yeah, threw myself into work. Um, That's what I did. I got myself a job, TGI Fridays, and it was great. Pay was extortionate loads of overtime and I enjoyed my life working lifestyle it's great 16 years old and you've got more money coming in than most adults but I also met a lot of people in there and they would invite you out on nights out and this is where I started getting caught up in my life of drink and drugs and chasing girls and that's what I started to live for in my life My life was all about going out and living for those sort of highs. You know, every Friday, Saturday night, even on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, um, I would be going out, getting absolutely wasted, um, and that was a high to me. That was what I thought was great. It was the biggest buzz I've ever had in my life. Um, We'd get into fights and stuff on those nights out, and we'd look forward to it, because it was just something that was just a rush, an adrenaline buzz, a hit, and a high, and it was really great. I mean, even when I was still 16 years old, I was still going on church excursions, um, kind of because that's what my parents were pushing me to do. Still going to Soul Survivor and stuff like that. And, but I preferred that lifestyle of the drinks and the drugs and the girls. That was what I really enjoyed about life. And I even remember, like, one year at Soul Fiver, and um, I was sat in their main hall, and I felt as alone as anybody could feel that day. Um, I was isolated. I was sitting there and I was like, and it's quite amazing because there's about 10,000 people there. So to sit alone in that place, Um, I actually turned around and I prayed, prayed my heart and soul out for about 10, 15 minutes. And I got no response. I got no response whatsoever. And that was when I basically said, Fine, I'm done with God. You know, I thought, I've given you the opportunity, I am done you know, because clearly you're not speaking back to me. And so, yeah, I then just carried on in my life, just working f- through, and my life was just drinking, drug fused. Um, that was it. I hung around with some big gang members, um, some big drug dealers in my life, and that's, that's what I enjoyed. It's part of what I enjoyed in life. And, um, yeah, I look back now and go... Yeah, not great years of my life, but at the time, they were my highs and my buzz. And I suppose things started to change slightly um, in my life when I was around that age. And that's when I started losing mates to that life. Um, I had lost um, friends to, in car accidents. I had started losing two mates to shootings. Um, I had half my mates going inside uh, jail. And um, I kind of started going, well... I'm my late teens now, and I'm like, maybe I should start growing up with my life, and so I did. I started growing up with my life, and I just went and met my wife. Um, So we met, got together. We met. I got introduced by a friend, and I didn't ever realise she suffered from depression quite heavily and severely, and I didn't understand what depression was. Um, I just thought that was a state of mind. Um, and we spent seven, eight years together um, in our lives. And do you know what? Her parents used to love me because it was like, as you say, it was like having her own daughter back because she got away from that life of depression. She got off her drugs and she got off her pills and she was like being her old self back. And I thought life was great. Settled down, got married, got the house, and I'm thinking, right, 2.4 children is what's next because that's what the rest of my family and friends were doing. And I thought, right, sorted, I'm on the right track. You know, um, that is how life should be. You know, everybody else is doing the same, I'll follow suit. Um, But it wasn't quite to be, Um, because not that long after we got married, even though we spent many years together, um, my wife started a new job, and she started hanging out in a new crowd and meeting new people. And there she met another guy and that is we just she i don't know how long she was with this other guy um might have been weeks might have been months um but her attitude changed towards me and um so one day i confronted her and then she turned around and openly honestly told me that she was seeing somebody else and at that point yeah i was distraught broken crashed in tears Um, my wife had left the house, she packed a bag, she's gone, moved back in with her parents and I was lost again and um, so I did what any normal guy did and turned back to my old life you know and I was like well I'll start hitting back on the drink and the drugs and everything else and that's when my life started going down as well and not long after that she left me, I lost my job. Um, it was the time of the last recession and I'd lost my job later that year too. And so I've got my house, I've got a mortgage and I've got no income. Um, and I spent probably about nine months out of work. Spent all my savings going on paper in my head above water. And to be honest, I probably could have lost, quite easily lost my house then as well. Um, it got close um thanks to a couple of loving parents who actually took on my mortgage um, and got a lower interest rate that was the only reason i still kept my house and i mean my parents while i was going through this time and while i was unemployed my parents invited me along to the south of course um, and i went i went to the south of course not expecting much of it and yeah by the time it was there at the of course it was great and then the ALF course finished and i felt Pretty good for a couple of weeks afterwards. But then there was nothing else. There was nothing else that led on from that. And I kind of went, well, is this it then? Is this it, you know? And so I um, eventually then found myself a job. Um, and it's what a job I worked in the previous 10 years before I moved up here. <coughs> and um, so I worked for Sainsbury's as a manager. And, at first, the job was great, you know, money was great, Uh, lifestyle was good, I could afford to then go out and drink every weekend uh, because they paid me stupidly well. I did up my house, um, bought myself a couple of new motorcycles, and, yeah, money and stuff and life in that respect was going well. And, you know, I still didn't have God in my life um, completely at that time, Um, although I did give it a try. I went to a few different churches, Um, and not one of them really spoke to me. Not one of them made me felt welcome. And so I was just sat there at the back, and I was like, what am I doing here? And that's what happened in about four or five different churches that I went to. Now, after a while, things started to change. Uh, They got stricter on their jobs, and the hours and the stress and stuff came along. I was probably actually working closer to 70 hours a week than I was... 39 and i was coming home stressed out and i would literally just throw my phone against the wall smash up my house a bit because that was where i was at and eventually um and i was thinking this is a great opportunity they said dan you might be made redundant and i was like thank god for that i was just like exactly what i wanted to happen uh, cause I couldn't do the job anymore and I was thinking about leaving and they turn around and go, yep, we're making all these cutbacks, Dan, um, and so, yeah, your job is on the line. And I was like, best news I have heard for the last 10 years. And so we start going through the whole redundancy process with work. And right at the last minute going through it, they came up to me and goes, Dan, we're not making you redundant. We found another position for you in the company. And again, I just felt so crushed and so let down. I was just fit of rage. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. Um, so I stuck the job out for about another four weeks. And I just had probably a week from hell at work. Uh, the Worst week I've ever had at the job. And at that point, I just went, there's my resignation. I handed my resignation. And that was me done. Um, didn't know what I was going to do. Honestly, didn't know what to do. Still got a mortgage and bills to pay for and um, had no idea. Um, my parents were living up in Pitlockery at the time. They had moved up here, retired up here. And so I got on a motorcycle and rode up here for just a long weekend, um, just to say hello, just to have a break and try and figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Um, well, yeah, that was, um, that was when I was like 35 and I'm now 39. So you can see how that long weekend went. Uh, And yeah, because I stayed up here for like two weeks, and weirdly it was glorious sunshine at that time as well. Um, And then eventually I went, right, okay, I need to go and sort my house and my life out down south because, you know, I've got an empty house which I'm still paying for, I've got no job, and I'm just winging it all, as I always do in my life. And um, so I went back down south, and I put the house on the market. uh, thought, right, do you know what, I'm going to sell up, and I'm going to come up, and I'm going to, move up this way and my intentions of moving up this way was just to surely run away because I didn't really want to deal with people I didn't really want to deal with life I was not in the headspace where I could be happy in my life I was down in the dumps and I was depressed so my dream was to buy a house out in the woods and just hide away from everybody in the world that's it I just wanted to be isolated and cut off and by myself and that's where right where I was um, so I had the house in the market Had an offer come through, the sale fell through. Put the house back on the market, had an offer on the house, and the sale fell (coughs) through. And I was just like, well, right, what am I supposed to do? Am I actually supposed to be up here, or am I supposed to just go back down and be in a place that I hate? A town where I can't stand the people, jobs which can't stand, couldn't stand a rat race dealing with the M25 and the M40 most days a week was hell. And so I just didn't know what to do. Um, But I ended up then going, do you know what, I'm just going to let the house out. And I've still got tenants in there today, uh, which is great. But I still just wanted to run away. That was my frame of mind. I was down, I was depressed, I hated my life. And I actually prayed um, quite a bit at that time. But my prayers most nights of the week when I was going to bed was, God, I've got nothing to live for. I do not want to wake up in the morning. Would you just let me fall asleep tonight and just that'll be it for my life. I didn't have another reason to get up in the morning. Didn't have a reason to go and find a job. Didn't have a reason to go out of the house. And yeah, that's that's where I was. I actually found myself really down and depressed in my life. And probably not until then did I actually understand depression, understand what my wife must have gone through when she felt that bad and she just wanted her life to end because that's all I wanted mine to do. I could just all think about during the daytime was getting on the motorcycle, running off to the coast, packing a couple of bottles of whiskeys and a couple of large bottles of pills and just sitting there by the coast and just taking them both. That is where I was personally at and I had nothing to live for and weirdly I was, at the time I was still coming to this one church right here and it was probably the first church that actually ever made me feel welcome and a family that I always felt to be part of. Um, and most people didn't know what I was going through because I had barriers up, and I'm very good at hiding what my emotions and states are. And, um, yeah, and I just didn't know what I was doing here. Um, but something kept making me come back pretty much every Sunday that I wasn't working I'd come back into the church, and I'd just sit at the back. That's where I used to sit, right over where Rona is, at the back corner there, my favourite spot, hide away in the back. And, um, yeah, and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, Ken asked me to get involved in some Friday night primary youth clubs, and I was like, yeah, I'll come along. Not in the mood. Um, Didn't want to do it, but I thought, no, I'll come along and see what happens. And, um, and then I started getting introduced to some of these teenage brats which are sat right over here and um, they started asking me to come along on a Wednesday night radio and I was just like oh, really and it's like I didn't really want to do that either and then at a similar sort of time David texts me and he's like I want to start up a boys discipleship group at 7am on a Thursday morning <laughs> up on the moors and I was like Nah, <laughs> nah, not going to happen, mate. And uh, that's seriously when I was at. But I wanted to write, knowing that to reply to that text message, I said, "I am not getting up that time, and I'm not in the place to meet up and do that." But I ended up saying, "Yes, that's fine." And I don't know what it is that did it, um, but I realised it was God actually just putting little bits into my life. That's what I realize now, that he would put the youth over there give me something, a reason to get up and go to work and live every morning. He gave me guys like Steve, well, Otto's part of our discipleship group now, in the morning, um, because we needed that male bonding time and stuff, you know, and without those guys and in my life, and without those times, and God putting those, positions, those people into my life, I probably wouldn't be here speaking to you right now. And I mean, like, yeah, last year at Soul Survivor, um, one of the second best Soul Survivors I'm gonna say I've ever been to, because this year was probably the best. Um, I remember just sitting up till, um, well, what was it, about 3 a.m. we were set up, weren't we, guys, just talking about life and stuff. And I kind of realized then, as much as, God put these girls in my life because they needed an adult to talk to. He put them girls there because I needed something in my life and a reason to live. And um, yeah, and it's great. And our discipleship groups grew stronger and stronger, especially in our Thursday morning boys. And yeah, I mean, we've all had troubles and struggles that we're going through. I remember when Steve was going through his hard times, and he was open and honest and Martin's going to kick me off the stage now, so I'm just going <laughs> to run around with the mic, because uh, I haven't quite finished. Um, <laughs> no. And I'll, I'll hurry up and finish up. So, no, without God literally intervening in my life, and literally just going, do you know what, Dan, these are your areas and you need to focus on them. I wouldn't be here right now. And um, it's just amazing that how even when you get to the lowest point of your life, you know, and you think that is it, that's the end for me, he can still intervene. He can still intervene. And um, I'm going to finish on that, even though there's more. But I'll let you carry on.
0: great! <laughs> okay, excellent. Thank you, Dan, again for sharing, and uh, I think just being so honest, <clears throat> he's managed to get most of his testimony, I think, in there in about 10, 15 minutes, which is quite an achievement. I think what I've learned about doing the testimony time is that you probably only ask one person, or maybe two at the most, because <laughs> people have so much to share, don't they, about what God's doing in their lives, and so um, can we just give them all a round of applause and just say thank you again? <clears throat> Um, I wasn't sure what to prepare for this morning, and I pre- prepared a few other things, but time's gone. Um, there's just one thing I want to just share. Um, when, when I was sitting there and just thinking, you know, I was listening to people talk, I, I just got this impression, I was reminded of the parable of Jesus and um, the 99 sheep, and he just leaves them and goes to find the one. And I think that's what we've heard this morning, is that in all people's lives, God has actually been intervening in many, many different ways. And the impression I got is, again, whilst I was just sitting there and, and thinking, was that, is there somebody here like that today? That actually they feel as if they've been ab- that you've been abandoned. And actually, that's not the case. God would leave the 99, and he would actually go and find you. As a person, God knows you, he loves you, and he welcomes you into his kingdom. And that's what he wants to say to you. So if you feel that that's you, that actually you feel that you've been abandoned, And that God no longer loves you, or life's got so difficult, God would say that that's a lie, that's not correct, that's not who I am, that's not my character, that's not my personality. And we've heard that with three different people that have been speaking this morning, and they've been able to share really about the love of God, different ways, and the way in which God has actually been speaking into their lives And so I'd say, if that's you, if that really does speak to you, then come and find me, come and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. We've got plenty of people here that are great at at praying with people and would able to um, sort of pray into your life in whatever way that may be. So let's just uh, finish there. Um, Teas and coffees I think we're going to have in a few moments. We've we've run out of time, Jenny, so we haven't time for another song. But let's just just pray um, as we just commit this time to the Lord. Father, I just thank you for the three testimonies that we've heard. I thank you for Rosemary, for Gail, and for Dan. Thank you, Lord, for the way in which you've worked in their lives in many different ways, and you've worked in uh, many different ways over many different years. And I thank you, Father, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that you work in our lives as well. And I pray, Father God, that we would know that today, that you're still working in our lives. And if we feel that you've abandoned us or left us alone, May we not um, take that to heart. May that not be our testimony as we leave here. But each one of us would know that you're there, you're working in our lives. At times we don't know that and at times we don't realize it. But yet you're still there and you're still working in our lives. So open up our eyes individually to see when you are working in our lives so that we can give testimony of the great things that you're doing. Thank you, Father God, that you are a God that is worthy of our praise, worthy of our adoration worthy of all that we can give you. And so we thank you, Father. Amen.